When he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? He answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Micaiah has got to be one of the most underrated prophets in the entire Bible. I mean, can you imagine the situation this guy was in? He had been dragged in before King Ahab of Israel and his vassal, King Jehoshaphat of Judah. It had been made perfectly clear to him that he was supposed to give a prophecy that would support the course of action that the king had already chosen to take. And so, what did he do? He opened his mouth and did exactly as he had been told. He gave the answer required of him. But somehow, and this is the part that intrigues me, he managed to deliver those lines with such heavy sarcasm that the king immediately knew that he didn't mean it. And so what did he do next? He told the truth. He said that the king's plan would lead him to complete and utter disaster, and did it in a room full of people who were saying the opposite. This is a prophet who's got some backbone and some style. I'm sure you'd like to know his story. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 7.11, Micaiah and the Lying Spirit. Micaiah had been very worried when he went to sleep that night. For years he had served as a prophet in the court of Ahab, king of Israel. Ahab had been a strong king and had brought much prosperity to the kingdom. It was true that some of the prophets, in particular the disruptive company of the prophets based out in the countryside, were very critical of Ahab and his wife Jezebel, because they weren't as devoted to Yahweh as they would have liked. But Micaiah had tried to keep himself out of such disputes 
as much as possible. The job of a court prophet, as far as he was concerned, was to speak a word from Yahweh that would help the king to make wise and judicious decisions as he sought to lead the nations. He felt that it was something that he could do even if the king was not always pure in his devotion to Yahweh. And so he had always tried to speak the truth as he saw it and received it from Yahweh. Unfortunately, it seemed that what he had to say was often not what the king wanted to hear. That meant that he was not particularly popular around the court. But he believed that by speaking with integrity, he was able to give the kind of word that the king truly needed, even when he didn't want to hear it. But Micaiah had been finding of late that the king had become fixated upon some very dangerous decisions. The kingdom of Aram had been at war with Israel for some time now. The fighting had been on and off, but the Arameans had made some significant gains. In particular, they had taken some territory in the north of Israel, particularly the city of Ramoth-Gilead and some surrounding territory. That had been a difficult thing for Ahab to accept. He felt as if it made him look bad, as if he were a weak king. And so he had begun to listen to some of the flattering fools of the court who loved to tell him how amazing he was. They were puffing him up, and he seemed to be starting to think that he could do anything. He had summoned one of his liegemen, King Jehoshaphat, who ruled over the tiny kingdom of Judah in the south, ordering him to come and attend him. Jehoshaphat had already arrived and bowed before his overlord, obsequiously repeating the words of the vassal's oath. I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. Micaiah was afraid that this was all part of a plan to attack Aram and seize the disputed territory. If that happened, it would be a complete disaster. Aram just had too many resources. Its armies were well-trained and confident Ahab would be blundering into a trap. Of course, prophets would be called on to offer advice before any such effort could be mounted. Knowing that he was out of favor in the court, Micaiah didn't expect that anyone would want to hear from him, and maybe that was for the best. 
but he was worried. Based on everything that he had seen over the last little while, that none of the other prophets would have the courage to speak up and tell the king the truth. He hoped, how he hoped that his fears were ill-founded, but he was extremely concerned and couldn't stop thinking about it as he retired for the night and prepared to sleep. In his dreams that night, Micaiah found himself in the very last place he wanted to be. He saw himself coming into the court of the King of Israel. He shuddered. It seemed he was being ordered to give his opinion. He did not want to have to be the one who told the king how foolish his plans were. But even as he came to stand before the throne, the familiar scene became unfamiliar. The throne became much more magnificent. The figure who sat upon it also became strange in appearance and in majesty. In the same moment, Micaiah realized that he could not speak. That, at least, was a relief. He knew that he had come to this place not to speak a word of Yahweh, but to hear one. He had been brought to observe. And then it was as if his eyes were suddenly opened and he realized where he actually was. He had been brought to stand in the midst of the heavenly court. The figure who was enthroned before him must be Yahweh himself, who was presiding over all of the gods of the peoples of the earth. It seemed impossible, but apparently he had been brought into the very councils of Almighty God. But as Yahweh sat splendidly upon his throne, he was not pleased. Who will do it? Who will entice Ahab so that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Micaiah was flabbergasted. Here Yahweh was discussing how to make the one thing that he didn't want to happen. And the gods seemed to be strategizing about how they could bring the most disastrous outcome to pass. He wanted to cry out, to shout that this was not right, that the kingdom that Yahweh had sworn to make his own people would fall without its king. But he could neither move nor speak. He had to watch as various gods and minor deities stepped forward to propose their ideas for how King Ahab could be lured 
to his destruction. One proposed placing omens in the sky that would tempt the king into foolish action. Another proposed to speak to the king in a dream, telling him that he must attack the Arameans. All of the ideas that were proposed to the high god were rejected with a swift shake of the head, until finally a spirit drifted forward. It was little more than a breath. Looking at it, it hardly seemed like something that could bring down a mighty king. But when it spoke, its breath wispy and indistinct, it sent a shiver down Micaiah's back. Yahweh turned to the spirit, giving it his full attention. How? He wanted to know. How will you do it? I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Yes, Yahweh agreed. Yes, you can have the job. You shall succeed. Go out and do it. That was when Micaiah woke suddenly from his dream. He was trembling all over, and his blankets were wet with sweat. When the king's official came with the summons later that day, Micaiah was not really surprised. It seemed that he would not be spared his part in this obscene drama. He went with the man it wasn't as if he had any choice. The official was one of those members of the court who was only too happy to talk about everything that was going on. He went on at great length about how awful the Arameans were and how they should not be allowed to possess Ramoth Gilead. He explained that the decision to carry out the military expedition had already been concluded. The only problem, apparently, was that Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, was a bit skittish. He was concerned that perhaps the battle might not go well, and was looking for some prophetic assurance. Of course, this only made Micaiah think that perhaps this Jehoshaphat was not quite so foolish as most of the kings he had ever met. But he wisely chose not to comment on that. He asked the official why he was needed. Didn't Ahab already have lots of other prophets that he preferred to consult? 
Listen, said the official angrily. The words of all the other prophets, with one accord, are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of them, and speak favorably. That's what you are here for. That's what you will do, if you know what's good for you. Micaiah replied haughtily. He couldn't help it. As Yahweh lives, whatever Yahweh says to me is what I will say, and I certainly won't take my word from you. And then, uh, suddenly, they turned the corner and found themselves stumbling almost directly into the royal court. It had been established for the occasion, just outside of the gate of the city, at a place where the ground was flat, and that was used in season for threshing grain. King Ahab was wearing his best robes and sitting on his throne. Beside him, on a somewhat smaller chair, sat the king of Judah, and all the members of the court were fawning around the king. Micaiah was immediately struck by how much this scene resembled the vision of the heavenly court that he had seen in his dream. Yes, it was somewhat less striking and awe-inspiring, but it was simply a matter of degrees. And, just like in his dream, the members of the court were all milling about the high throne, each one seeking to gain the attention and approval of their sovereign. Most vocal of all, of course, were the court prophets, who were loudly shouting out and promising the king victory in his military campaign. Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph, they cried. Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. As usual, the loudest prophet among them was Zedekiah. Micaiah knew him only too well. He was the kind of prophet who specialized in performance art. He liked to put on elaborate displays to make his messages memorable. As far as he was concerned, Zedekiah had always been more concerned with the performance than with the integrity of the message. True to his form, Zedekiah was parading around the court with iron horns attached to his head and shouting, Thus says Yahweh, with these you shall gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. Micaiah rolled his eyes. It was embarrassing even to be associated with some of these characters. And then King Ahab caught sight of the new arrival. With an imperious gesture, he brought all of the commotion around him to a sudden stop. My dear Jehoshaphat, he cried, 
to his junior colleague beside him. Here he is, the man that I was telling you about, Micaiah, the prophet of Yahweh, who never has a single good thing to say about me. <laughs> he can only prophesy disaster. And then the king turned directly to him and asked straight out, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? Micaiah knew exactly what he was supposed to say, and so he said it. But he said it so sardonically that no one could miss the fact that he meant the opposite. Go up and triumph. Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. Of course, that only enraged Ahab. I don't need your snark. How many times must I make you swear to tell me the answers? You want answers? Micaiah asked incredulously. I want the truth in Yahweh's name, insisted the king. You can't handle the truth, the prophet shouted as he felt himself losing control. The king looked at him coolly for a few moments before quietly saying, Try me. And so, Micaiah slipped into the ecstatic state, which was a sign of true prophecy. Everyone in the room knew that he was not fooling around anymore, and they all shuddered when he finally spoke, saying, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep that have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, These have no master. Let each one go home in peace. King Ahab turned pale when he heard that. Then he tried to laugh it off, saying to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy anything favorable about me, but only disaster? But nobody was laughing. Micaiah had not finished prophesying. He went on from there to recount the entire vision that he had had of the divine council. He concluded by saying, so, you see, Yahweh has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. Yahweh has decreed disaster for you. As you can well imagine, this did not go over well with the large company of the prophets who had been promising the king's success all afternoon and no one was more affronted than Zedekiah, who had now been made to look ridiculous standing there with his iron horns. He came right up to Micaiah 
drew back his hand, slapped him on the cheek. And when did the spirit of Yahweh pass from me to speak to you? He asked haughtily. But Micaiah replied calmly, Maybe you will find out someday when you are running for your life and end up hiding out in the toilet. Oh yes, Micaiah detested Zedekiah. But Zedekiah was merely a fool, and actually the least of Micaiah's worries at this point. King Ahab was the big problem. He was absolutely furious. Not only had the prophet dared to criticize his plans, he had done so publicly. As he looked over at Jehoshaphat to his right hand, he could see that he had turned quite pale. The courage that had been so strong moments before had gone out of him. But, more serious than that, Ahab felt a cold fear within himself. What the prophet had said terrified him because something in it rang true within him. He did not say any of this. In order to hide his feelings, he lashed out against Micaiah in anger. He ordered that the prophet be arrested immediately, that the governor and his own son take charge of him and throw him in prison. He demanded that he be fed nothing but bread and water until Ahab returned safely from his expedition. When he heard that, Micaiah could only laugh bitterly. <laughs> if you return in peace, Yahweh has not spoken by me. And as he was dragged away, he shouted out for all to hear, Listen, everybody! I have warned you. Micaiah would spend the rest of the story, possibly the rest of his life, in his prison. And it was true that they gave him little more than the bare minimum of food to sustain his life. But at least they gave him the one thing that he wanted more. Information. His guards and wardens seemed only too happy to tell him everything about the doomed expedition. It was the only thing that anyone in Samaria was talking about. When the prophet heard that Ahab had decided not to wear any royal insignia into the battle that he had chosen to dress instead like a common soldier. Micaiah smiled grimly. That was when he knew that he had actually gotten through to the man. Oh, Ahab knew 
that his life was balanced on the edge of a blade. But his foolish pride and honor would not allow him to abandon his plan. And so he had bullied Jehoshaphat into playing the role of the war leader, thinking that in this way he would escape the fate that had been foretold to him. Micaiah sincerely doubted that such a gambit would work. When some of the warriors of Israel finally returned from the battle to tell the full tale, Micaiah listened in rapt attention. Had the outcome not been so tragic for the entire nation, he might have laughed at the irony of it all. He closed his eyes and imagined it as the battle had been recounted to him. He saw Jehoshaphat of Judah ride into the thick of the battle on his chariot. But then, when he saw that all of the Aramean warriors immediately targeted him exclusively, he yelped in terror as he turned and fled. The men of Aram realized that they had targeted the wrong man, and they made an orderly turn to withdraw. But even as they completed this well-practiced maneuver, one of the Aramean soldiers took one last shot at the retreating Israelites. His arrow hit one random Israelite soldier, just managing to strike at the joint between his scale armor and breastplate. But it was no random Israelite that he had hit. King Ahab had been struck with a mortal blow. The king withdrew from the field, and his driver propped him up on the back of his chariot. While he bled out, he watched the armies of Israel and Judah go down to defeat. Then King Ahab died. Micaiah didn't laugh when he heard that. He quietly shed a tear, not for the man, but for the people who would suffer most from his foolish pride. I must admit that I stand in awe of many of the Old Testament prophets. They were men and women of exceptional insight and wisdom. Many people assume that the most amazing thing about these prophets was how they had supernatural knowledge of events that would take place in the future. But that is not the thing that impresses me about them. In fact, I don't believe that they even attempted to make such predictions very often. No, most of what they said 
didn't necessarily require supernatural knowledge of the future. It was often based on good old-fashioned common sense. Take Micaiah, for example. Do you really think that he couldn't have come to the conclusion without divine help that an expedition against the larger and better equipped army of the king of Aram was a foolish undertaking? I'm pretty sure that he just took a good look at the situation, applied some sense and logic and reason, and concluded that the answer that occurred to him must have come from Yahweh. But that left him with an odd puzzle. How was it that no other prophets or advisors to the king could see what was so patently obvious to him? Why were they encouraging the king to go to war? And that leads us to Micaiah's incredible vision of the heavenly council. As someone who has often gone to sleep at night with some worry or anxiety burning in my mind, and who then had a dream that somehow helped me to make some sense of my dilemma, I can well imagine the prophet falling asleep worrying about an impending appearance before the king's council, and suddenly finding himself in the midst of another kind of council. The idea of God sitting in and presiding over a heavenly council, filled with heavenly beings, that is to say, other gods, is one that comes up a few times in the Bible. I have portrayed it in a few of my episodes, to which I will put links in my show notes. But I do find that Micaiah's vision is particularly fascinating, because among all of the beings attending on Yahweh, we find a lying spirit, or wind, or breath, those Three things are all one word in Hebrew. This dream helped Micaiah make sense of the foolish counsel of the other prophets. He could explain it in terms of a lying spirit that had been sent by God to influence the king's counselors. Of course, what Micaiah saw in his dream left us with theological questions that people still struggle with to this day. How is it possible that God could intentionally lie to his prophets? But Micaiah was little concerned with such theological conundrums. He just suddenly realized that he was left to stand alone the only one brave enough to speak what, as far as he was concerned, was the obvious truth in a dire situation. And I will always admire those who have the courage to do such things.
That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. And do leave a review on your podcast provider to help other people find and appreciate this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ada, and the mood music for this episode was Lightless Dawn. The music is by Kevin McLeod, is licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at filmmusic.io. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible and on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks once again to my awesome Patreon supporters who back this podcast. If you'd like to join them or discover the benefits they receive, go to patreon.com slash retelling the Bible. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs>